At Alma, we know the connection between you and your therapist matters. But if you're already feeling stressed and burnt out, the idea of trying to find a therapist you really connect with can be overwhelming. That's why Alma's focused on helping you find the right therapist for you. When you browse their online directory, you can filter by the qualities that are most important to you. Then book free 15-minute consultations with any therapist you're interested in seeing. And because 95% of therapists at Alma accept insurance, you can find care that's affordable too. You want to talk to someone, but not just anyone. Alma is there to help you find the right fit. Visit helloalma.com slash therapy30 to schedule a free consultation today. That's helloalma.com slash therapy30. Ladies and gentlemen, gentlemen. Hey everybody, this is Richard Deitch and welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. My producer as always is Patrick Antonetti. Uh, this podcast is going to be a little bit different this week. There's... um. There's four people coming on, but this is sort of a personal one for me. My guests are um, are some incredibly talented people who were laid off by the Maven last week. The Maven is uh, the company now that um, uh, is running Sports Illustrated's media operations. And so um, it was an awful week for them, an awful week for sports journalism. And the um, the publishing company, the Maven, basically laid off... You know, it'll be around whatever it turns out to be, 35, 40, 45% of Sports Illustrated's editorial staff uh, just decimated. And people with decades of experience uh, uh, told they had to basically get out of the building incredibly quickly. It was disgraceful. Um, the reports, you've read the reports from the Washington Post and the Deadspins, et cetera, about this. So my guests are... Mary Agnett, who is a incredibly talented producer and filmmaker for Sports Illustrated, worked for Sports Illustrated Video for three years, had an unbelievable documentary on the Humboldt Broncos player Logan Boulay, who was one of the 16 people killed in that horrible bus crash involving that team. She is joined by Scooby Axon, who worked at Sports Illustrated and SI.com for seven years there, uh, has covered everything from college football to the NFL to the NBA. Major League Baseball, an incredible guy, spent 16 years in the military serving tours in Bosnia and Iraq, supported relief efforts after Hurricane Katrina, and uh, just a super stand-up uh, guy, incredible hard worker, great talent. So that's segment one. Second segment will be Tim Rohan, who worked at Sports Illustrated for three and a half years or so. He's a staff writer there, covered the NFL, worked on uh, the MMQB before that previous uh, Lee was a writer for the New York Times, incredible talent, really great writer. The podcast that he did for Cadence 13, Fall of the Titan, that was a serialized podcast re-examining the death of Steve McNair, recognized as one of the best sports podcasts in 2018. Tim Rohan is joined by uh, Joan Neeson, who is also a staff writer for Sports Illustrated. She worked for nearly six years there, covered uh, an amazing amount of stuff from college football to the college football playoffs, the Super Bowl, the Masters, Stanley Cup, World Series. Just Google her work on SI.com and, uh, uh, or the magazine. I mean, just a major, major talent um, and a terrific and thoughtful writer. So the first segment's with Mary Agnan and Scooby Axon. The second segment is with Tim Rohan and Joe Neeson, and we discuss um, – what it was like for them last week, whether they saw this coming. Uh, did they hope that there could be a happy ending at Sports Illustrated? Some of the issues that Sports Illustrated had, what they think happens next for Sports Illustrated, and what they hope to now do 
heading forward. I think you're going to enjoy this, or maybe not enjoy this, but I hopefully it gives you insight into what went down at obviously a place that's, uh, you know, was incredibly important to me. Uh, it was the place I dreamed of working for. I worked there for nearly two decades, and um, the place means in, uh, an immense amount to me. I, you know, whatever I have experienced professionally, uh, I owe to Sports Illustrated. So that's a long intro, and uh, let's head to uh, Scooby and Mary coming up on the Sports Media Podcast. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24/7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast okay as i said at the top mary agnant was a producer and filmmaker for sports illustrated video for uh, three years and change she worked on live shows there features, documentaries, and in my opinion, directed one of the best things Sports Illustrated has ever produced, and that's a documentary about the uh, humble Broncos player Logan Boulay. He's one of these 16 people who were killed in that horrible bus crash involving that hockey team in Canada. And uh, if you want to check out Mary's work and check out uh, uh, her piece on Logan Boulay, just it's, uh, I believe it is on YouTube right now. And so you easily be able to uh, search that. It's called the Logan Effect. Scooby Axon worked at Sports Illustrated and SIFR.com for seven years. Covered everything from college football to the NFL to the NBA to Major League Baseball. Prior to that, he spent 16 years in the military serving tours in Bosnia and Iraq. Supported relief efforts after Hurricane Katrina in New Orleans. And I highly recommend reading his 2017 piece on SI.com about being an African-American Army veteran and, uh, and his perspective about NFL players protesting during the National Anthem. And uh, I am pleased to be joined by Mary Agnant and Scooby Axon, although I do wish it was under different conditions. Welcome, guys, to the Sports Media Podcast. Thank you. Thank Pl- you. Pleased Thanks to be here. Us. All right, Mary, I'm going to start with you. Um, explain to the audience what you did for Sports Illustrated slash Sports Illustrated Video. So I was a video producer. Um, Essentially, we create features and documentaries. Um, All the features varied in length. They could have been five minutes. They could have been, you know, 20 minutes. Um, And obviously the documentaries also varied in length. 
Um, I was actually hired three years ago as a freelancer to come in and work on two shows for Animal Planet uh, about the Puppy Bowl. And um, from there went on to do a number of things. As you mentioned, the, the Logan Effect was one of my most proud uh, moments but uh, working there. But I also worked on a short doc called Losing Tyler, which was about the um, Tyler Holinsky, the Washington State quarterback who died by suicide. Um, Greg, I had the incredible um, privilege of working with Greg Bishop to meet his parents and, and do a short documentary about that. So my role is essentially, to answer your original question, pitch stories, work with writers who already had stories in progress, um, obviously do tons of research, go out and work with directors of photography to shoot those features and documentaries, come back, edit them, um, and then put them out for the world, hopefully the world to see. Scooby, same question. Yeah, I started off um, with the newly created uh, Breaking News team um, in, in 2012 and um, did that for three years. And then they, they kind of transitioned me to uh, college football. Um, they created a vertical called Campus Rush, um, which only lasted a year for whatever reason. And then I went back to the Breaking News team and then for the past two years transitioned back to uh, college sports, uh, specifically college football. Uh, Scooby, I'm going to start with you. Um, did you see this coming? And if so, uh, how long did you see it coming? Give me a sense if you did. I want to say when we moved from Midtown to Battery Park. When did that happen? So the audience, uh, would know. That was, I want to say 2014. Okay. Around there. Um, and then of course, when Meredith, um, Bought Time Inc., you know, it was like, man, they can just come in and just get rid of us all. I mean, they have the um, prerogative to do that. And so literally, um, I was telling somebody this when, um, you know, everybody like decorates their desk at, at their cubicle. Like literally the only thing I had at my desk was a plush Scooby doll. So when the when the time came, I could you know get my plush Scooby doll and and bail out. So it was it was always in the back of my mind. It was just a matter of when it was going to happen. Honestly, mm-hmm. Mary, same question. Um, I'd say in in every industry it has its ups and downs, and I don't think you can ever have any job without being a little bit worried. My greatest concern started, I would say, in June when the Maven came into the picture. Up until then, I think I was pretty cautiously optimistic. Even after Meredith purchased us, I saw the way they handled selling off the other legacy brands, and I had faith, or maybe it was, you know, foolish, but I, I hoped that there would be some magical billionaire, um, like what happened with Time Magazine, who'd come in and buy us and, you know, just be passionate about sports and the brand and, um even after ABG purchased us, purchased us, I was still hopeful. Um, but really, it was when the Maven came into the picture that I feel I could say I saw this coming. Hmm. Scooby, back to you. Um, as you know, as deep as you want to go, um, what was last week like for you individually? Um, it was strange because. Um, these four days in the 10 months I was at Columbia, those are the only times in my adult life where I have not worked. 
So getting up in the morning and not literally having anything to do but update the resume, look for jobs, it, it was strange. Um, being on a breaking news team, it was 6 a.m. start time. So, you know, for the better part of my time in the military and then the majority of the seven years at SI, I was waking up at when the rooster crow, literally. And so, you know, being able to sleep in for once was strange. But, you know, the support that I got um, when it went down was unbelievable. So, you know, I'm, I'm not the type that, you know, that complains or does anything like that. Um, I just have to move forward. But it, it was, I think, strange um, just not having anything to do on a daily basis. Scooby, one follow-up. How did you learn um, that uh, the Maven was, um, was, was laying you off, eliminating you from your job? Um, Wednesday night, um, I started reading Deadspin. I think that, that's when the thing started. And then Thursday, um, we get an email, or Wednesday night we get an email um, telling us to be on a conference call at noon. Um, and then they canceled a conference call, so I left. I left my apartment, I, uh, uh, ran some errands, and then I missed the second meeting. And so I uh, called HR, or HR emailed me um, and basically uh, told me, and he got me on the phone and, and told me what to do the next day. So basically go in the next day, clear out your desk by this time, turn in your badge, turn in your computer, and that was that. So it was it was pretty matter of factly, you, you know, I, I don't, you know, the show of emotion, you know, um, just he just had a job to do. And I understood that. So, you know, he told me what I needed to do. And that's pretty much it went by pretty quick. You found out and then, you know, you, he explained the circumstances and then that was that. Mary, the same question for you. Uh, what what was last week like for you individually and, and how are you informed of uh, by the the Maven group that uh, that you would no longer be working there. Uh, my experience is a little bit different because I was in the office all week. Um, I don't know how how in depth you want me to go. I could take you like day by day, kind of what happened. I don't... Yeah, I would like you to go as in, I'd like you to go as in depth as you wish. Yeah. So um, there were rumblings around the office uh, Monday and Tuesday during the day. Um, obviously. We're talking about a group of journalists, so everybody gets tips all the time about things that are happening, and people around the office talk, obviously, so we started to hear things. Um, and I guess it was Tuesday night, I was on the train home um, from the office, and I'm on a big, two big text chains with text chains with coworkers, um, and all of a sudden somebody sent out a link to the New York Post article. Um, I, I clicked on it and I saw essentially Chris Stone stepping down as editor in chief. Um, by the time two more people in the chain had clicked on it, the, the article had been taken down. Um, so everybody's immediately kind of panicking. You know, there had been rumblings, like I said, even a couple of weeks ago, um, that we, we kind of knew this, like I said, this, this might be where we're headed since the Maven bought us, but this was the first sign, you know, of any action, anything actionable happening. Um, so we all immediately started, you know, thinking, what's, what does this mean? What's happening next? Um, 
a short while after that, a memo was sent out, an official memo about Stone stepping down. After that, the Post article went back up. Um, later that night, my um, supervisor called a meeting for our whole team for Wednesday. Um, we all met Wednesday, but he unfortunately didn't have very many answers. Um, it's unclear as to whether or not he had, you know, I don't think he actually had the answers. I think that many of the supervisors were kept kind of outside of everything that was going on. Um, but I also think that they didn't want to set in widespread panic. Um, obviously, then the Deadspin article, I think, came out Wednesday about how Chris Stone had given a number of employees kind of a heads up that there would be big layoffs coming, um, which sent everybody into a bit of a spiral. Um, and Wednesday night, a group of us met, a group of employees met to sort of figure out, like, what should we do? Is there anything we can do to stop this? Um, we, at that point, kind of talked about um, some sort of petition where we could express our concerns about what the Maven was going to do once the sale went through. Um, we, there, you know, we, there was a version drafted, um, but there hadn't been any steps taken to actually have people sign it. Um, later that night, I think it was like around nine o'clock, my text chain started blowing up again. People saying, oh my God, I just got an email about a meeting tomorrow. Is this it? Um, everybody immediately started comparing. I mean, the Deadspin article pretty much sums it up. Everybody pretty much immediately started comparing what time was your meeting? Where was your meeting? Who else was in your meeting? Um, I figured out pretty quickly that I was likely in the meeting that, of people getting laid off. I was in the earlier meeting. Um, most of the bigger named, bigger name writers like Greg Bishop were in the later meeting. So to me, it was pretty obvious. Okay. I'm, I'm in the group that's getting let go. Um, we are all in the office when, or sorry, the days have all blurred together Thursday morning. Uh, everybody went in, not sure what to expect. Um, just sort of, again, continuing to compare what meetings people were in, what else, what other information they'd heard. Um, and then around 11.50, a group of us started to head downstairs, and I think it was like 11.52 or 11.54, all of a sudden, everybody got an email that the meetings were canceled. Um, as you can imagine, this was a pretty huge shock. We were unclear as to, uh, I don't know if there's cursing allowed on this, but what the fuck was going on. Um, everybody was pretty pissed off and confused and scared and upset um immediately i guess everybody the video team is on the fifth floor whereas everybody else is on the seventh floor so immediately i guess um steven canella and ryan hunt sort of an impromptu you know it was an impromptu like everybody gathered around on the seventh floor so we ran up there and they were essentially saying that they had no idea what was happening as far as they knew the meetings were supposed to happen nobody told them that they were going to get canceled um, and yet here we are. So like I said, once again, it seemed as though they, everybody was sort of being kept outside of the information. Um, they said that if they asked everybody to please stick around for the rest of the day, because they were hoping that the meetings would be rescheduled for later, which is a little bit absurd to ask people who know they're about to get laid off to just hang out at their office. Uh, and also not great practices from an HR standpoint, if you ask me, um, we then, um, a group of us then saw this as an opportunity to continue to 
um, pursue this per- petition. So we gathered around and between 12 o'clock and around 3 o'clock, we pushed to get a petition together, um, pushed it out via social media, and were able to get, I don't know what the exact number um, of employees we ended up getting able to sign, but I think it was like in the 80s, 80-something employees able to sign. It was definitely like 75% of SI staff we were able to get. Um, at 3.45, we got another email saying the meetings had been rescheduled for 4.15 and 4.30. Everybody, a lot of people that were not even scheduled for the 4.15, the people that were scheduled for 4.30 actually came with us in solidarity to the 4.15 meeting, uh, which was incredible. Just shows the kinds of people that work at Sports Illustrated. And we went into that room and were told, I'm sorry, but you are not part of the plan for this company moving forward. Um, that we would, we were at that moment being con- getting an email from HR, and um, that that they would tell us about our severance, and you know we then dispersed. Um, some people actually went to the next to the 4:30 meeting just to hear what was going to be said, and some people even went to the um, town hall that Ross and Jim Heckman held, you know, shortly after that. Um, I personally went to speak to my husband to sort of figure out, like, what's, how is this going to affect our family? Uh, we have two kids that are pretty young, and, you know, childcare in this country ain't cheap. So what does it mean for us? Um, I know that it was there was a sign downstairs in the lobby of our office inviting everybody to a mixer for Maven employees and Sports Illustrated, the Sports Illustrated employees that weren't laid off, but... Um, most of my colleagues chose not to attend that. They went to a different bar. Um, and, yeah, so that was pretty much how everything happened. Friday was a lot of um, more texting with people about, you know, is there anything else we can do, um, t- talking to other co- coworkers about their severance, and um, people were talking to lawyers about, um, the information we were given, there were some red flags raised in our severance packages. So just alerting each other. Everybody was really, it was amazing how everybody was looking out for each other. Um, we started Google Doc for to, to tip each other off to jobs that we hear about. Um, the video team itself, we've been reaching out to each other, everybody that was laid off to, to give each other a heads up if somebody comes to us with an offer but we're not interested, you know, just trying to help each other. Because again, like I said, this is this was more than just an office. This is like a community of, of people um, that really looked out for each other and really admired each other's work. Sorry for how long that was. <laughs> Mary, I appreciate that. No, no, you should not apologize for um, going uh, as in-depth as you can. I think that um, for listeners of this really will give a sense. So I have obviously a couple follow-ups. I'll stick with you, Mary, and then Scooby, I'll get back. Uh, Scooby, I'll get back to you in a second. Um, Mary, and, and you know, everyone obviously who listens to this podcast knows I worked at Sports Illustrated for uh, many, many years and talked to people this week who are still there as well as who were laid off. And one of the troubling things among many, many troubling things was um, just the lack of, I would argue, sort of care and compassion and the true callousness of letting people who had worked there for multiple decades uh, giving them essentially very little warning, if no warning at all, that this was coming. 
That's a long preamble to Mary. In your sort of experience, the things that were written by Deadspin, the Washington Post, and other places, do you find that reporting to be accurate? That that's sort of that it was a sort of a fairly callous, or not fairly, but a callous experience for a lot of people who had given their sort of blood and sweat and and tears for that place. Well, all those articles to be very accurate um, in the lack of compassion and and I, one of the terms that keeps getting thrown around is tone deaf. They're, these people are just tone deaf and and yeah. I mean, I I don't want to say I have PTSD because um, I've got you know an army vet on the other side of this here, but like I definitely am a little bit traumatized by by how they handle the situation. I mean, it is inconsiderate doesn't even really sum it up to just send, first of all, group firings. I mean, that's, I've never heard of that. I've worked at a lot of places. I worked at major league baseball when they had big layoffs, um, a few, four years ago, um, almost five years ago. And people were individually brought into rooms and had discussions about why they weren't kept on. You know, there was, they didn't bring 40 people into a room and say, I'm sorry, but you're not part of the path forward. Um, we were never even addressed by anybody from the Maven. The group meeting was held by Meredith PR, or sorry, Meredith HR. Um, and we asked, like, in that meeting, can somebody from the Maven talk to us? Like, I would like to know why I wasn't kept on. I was given no reasoning. I understand, like, you know, at the end of the day, it probably comes down to salary and numbers and whatever, but I did some really good work while I was there, and nobody explained to me why that, you know, I couldn't be part of what their their quote unquote great you know great plans are going forward. Um, so yeah, all those articles to answer your question, all those articles were, in my experience that I had last week, were accurate. It was incredibly callous and inconsiderate and just cold, really cold-hearted. Scooby, I know you for a long time, and. Um... I, I know your POV with this stuff, which is to just, and maybe this has to do I with your military training. Obviously, uh, I don't have that. I don't think Mary has that. So you sort of take what what take what comes to you, and you're going to sort of deal with it um, in you know a professionalized manner. That's that said, um, you lost your job not based on merit, not based on the quality of your work, not based on anything which these things are supposed to, in theory, be based on. And I'm wondering, and I know it's not really, again, your sort of POV, but I mean, are you ticked off? Are you pissed? Yeah, that's that's the disappointing part. Um, I can see if I was a, a screw up or I didn't know what I was doing or, or things like that. Um, and then it, as far as the, you know, the accuracy of the articles, it's obvious that somebody that was in those meetings was talking to those um, entities, Deadspin, Washington Post, whoever it is. So, yes, it was accurate. That was what was said in those meetings. Um, the way it went about is also disappointing. Listen, even in the military, they would let you know well in advance. Like, I remember getting uh, whispers about Iraq a year out before we even went. So they let you know, hey, this is prepare your families, do what you need to do, get your affairs taken care of before, you know, we just wanted some kind of heads up. That's all. Um, and I, I don't have any kids. I do, I do have a wife, but it's, you know, trying to, and she's a journalist as well. So she, she knows 
um, the business, but the the way it went about, you know, when I'm talking to HR or, or whatever, and they're just matter of factly, you need to do this, 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 and this. Any questions? I'm like, no, I'm I'm good. <laughs> so when when I literally went up there the next day, it I said goodbye to the people that were in um in the office at the time. Um, said goodbye to you know Ryan Hunt, who man, I'm telling you, um, that man vouched for me. I. I, I'll fight. I, I'll go in the foxhole with him. You know what I'm saying? Um, and he he gave me a chance to do what I needed to do and a chance to, to work at SI. And I'm forever grateful for him. So I said goodbye. And then, you know, went downstairs and in literally three minutes <laughs> met with HR and was out the door uh, handing in my badge. So it was, you know, the, the way I don't know if they're you know, talk to do it that way, but, um, they need to, you know, the way it was done was just not something that, um, I'm used to. Um, even like I said, I was in the military and they didn't even treat us that, <laughs> that coldly, it, you know, saying, yeah, you're about to go to war. You're going to risk your life. Um, and it's just, you know, the, the suddenness of it, it is what really is disappointing more than anything. This is for both of you, and I'll stick with Scooby. Um, mm-hmm. In your opinion, Scooby, and Mary, this is also for you, was there anything that could have been done, um, in your opinion, prior to the the Maven arriving? You know, I don't even know if you want to go before the Meredith sale or after the Meredith sale, but do you think there were things that could have been done in-house at Sports Illustrated to prevent the day where a maven could take it over and and do what they did. I'll start with you, Scooby. Yeah, I, I listen, I, as anybody that knows me, you know, when adversity comes, I just want you to fight. Just fight for us. Just fight. You know, just don't, you know, if they come with a proposal, then you say, all right, well, what about our employees? Well, if there's a entity that knows nothing about editorial, you can say, just leave us alone. You know, do what you do. Just leave us alone. We can handle the editorial side. Just just fight for us. You know, you got some quality employees. That's all I wanted. Somebody to fight for me um, to say, we value your work. Um, we're going to do everything in our power. No matter what, you know, entities may come with their offers, we're going to do everything in our power to keep you guys here because you guys are the, the thing that keeps this thing going. Um, and that, that's all I wanted from them. Um, whether they did that or not, I I don't know. Maybe they fought as hard as they could and it still was out of their hands. I don't know, but somebody needed to tell me, Hey man, we fought for you guys. And it just, it, we couldn't sustain it anymore, but no one told us that they just said, all right, you're going to, we're going to replace you with the Maven group. Um, and whoever these guys are, and that's that. Um, and they left it at that, and that was the way it all ended. So, you know, like I said, just I, I just wanted um, those guys to just, you know, give everything they had and to, to keep everything we had in place because we had a good thing going, honestly. Mary, whether it was, um, whether it was um, sort of more investment to digital, um, either prior to the Meredith sale or after the Meredith sale, to sort of something else editorially, 
Is there anything? And I mean, at the end of the day, Marianne Scooby will be honest. What what would have sort of saved this thing or put it in a better position was if Meredith would have sold to a steward that cared about Sports Illustrated's DNA, that cared about journalism in the way that Time was um, was sold to an entity or I think an individual billionaire who invested in the product. Uh, but from your perspective, Mary, um, was there anything that could have been done, at least internally in your opinion, to not get to the point or position where Sports Illustrated would be sold to a place like the Maven? I mean, I'm not a business expert or a publishing expert, um, so I you know, don't have too much knowledge to speak to what could have been done differently specifically. Um, and obviously it wasn't privy to any of the, the talks about strategy and why it took them 18 months to, to sell it, even to ABG, I think, um, is obviously a good question. Um, I will say I always felt like there could have been better exposure for articles, for videos, um, for the magazine. Um, even after the Logan effect came out and it was on the cover of SI and my parents who live on Long Island drove around their town to like every store and could not find a copy of the magazine. Obviously who knows why that is. Um, but that's just one example. I feel like the app, um, the, is, you know, what it is. Um, there could have been better exposure for our videos. Um, whether that's on a marketing and PR side, I, I don't really know. Like I said, I'm not an expert on these things, but the whole time I was there, I did feel like there were th- little things that could have been done differently, whether or not that was like a whole business strategy. I, I don't know. Um, but, you know, I wish um, we we weren't, I guess I wish SI wasn't in the place where it was when they sold it to ABG. I wish it was worth more to somebody that, and that more people would have come because they felt like this was a thriving brand, it, you know, but, um, but again, I don't, I'm not sure. Mary, I want to stick with you. Um, what do you think happens now for Sports Illustrated and for your colleagues who remain behind? Um, <laughs> I wish I had a really positive outlook and, the thing that is keeping me positive is that there are a lot of really, really talented people that still work there. Um, there's a lot of really talented senior writers, Greg Bishop, Jenny Rentis, Grant Wall, Charlotte Wilder, Michael Rosenberg, Alex Pruitt. I don't, you know, I don't need to go name every single one. Those are just a few of the many really talented writers that are still left. There's still talented people in the video side, um, very talented people on the digital side. So that gives me hope in terms of a creative you know, outlook, because I know that the content that my colleagues that are still there will be producing will be some of the best in the industry. As far as how this um, company will be run from a business standpoint, I am not, I I don't know. Um, All I can do is look at the writing that was on the wall, um, the concerns that employees had after the Maven came to the picture based on the history with their previous companies. Um, It's, it's concerning. I mean, I, I don't know if this strategy of, you know, letting go of really talented people and hiring cheaper, less talented people is effective. But again, I'm not a business strategist. So all I can do is hope that the magazine continue and the, and the digital and video continues to be successful because uh, one of the saddest things for me is just that I read this magazine growing up. I would love my kids to read it growing up. Like this is a historic a storied brand and it's sad to think that these people could run it into the ground. So I guess all I have is optimism. You know, all I can do is say like, I hope 
that they don't do that, and I hope that this strategy works, um, but I just don't know. Scooby, same question. Yeah, I, I think I, I agree with her. Um, the talent there, um, it, it's, it, it's all about, um, at the end of the day, it's all about storytelling. It's, up, it's about the writing. It, it's about the, the video. It's about the visuals. That's what Sports Illustrated was, was based on. That incredible writing, that those incredible photography, and then switching over to the the video side and the digital side. Um, as far as the business plan, man, I mean, have they shown anything in the past that makes you want to believe that this plan is going to work? I I don't know, um, but it's always optimism. You you always want to see people succeed, but if you know the people that now run it um think that replacing us and then bringing in whoever those people better be better than us that's all, that's all they better be better than us and and just not on um on every level i'm talking about the writing the editing um some of the stories that i've heard are, are not great about what they're doing over there so you know if you're going to replace us you better bring in some people that are better than us and and that can push it forward. Otherwise, you, you're just, you know, throwing people out and replacing them just because you want to bring in cheaper labor or you think you can make a profit this way. Um, so that, like I said, the, the entire thing is disappointing in that regard. Like, tell me um, why we lost our jobs. Are we not good enough? Like, but... At the end of the day, this is all a, a business function. Like, um, and to have them explain it the way they did, it, it just doesn't fly with, with anybody that has a brain, honestly. Um, so if, if they want to play that card, that, that's their business. I hope they succeed. I really do. Because I, I, I got friends over there, man, you know, that, that busted their tail for the past half decade and sometimes even more. You know, I was there for seven years. I started at the at the low end of the totem pole, you know, and busting my tail to work my way up and then to see it gone in literally an afternoon um, is is um, disappointing. But like I said, I want them to succeed. I don't know if they will, um, but I will be watching like everyone else. Uh, Scooby, let's uh, let's end on this note and then I'll end with Mary after you. Um, what do you hope to do? Heading forward, what kind of work do you want to uh, continue with in this field? Uh, yeah, just continue with the the writing, or even transition to to media relations. <laughs> that that might be um, something interesting because I've I've seen how how both um, entities work. But I, I definitely want to get out there and uh, continue writing. I, I think I I had a, a different style that you know I didn't want to be like everyone else. Um, you know, you can, you know, it, you can write by like color by numbers. It's just like, I don't want to be that way. Um, I, I have my own opinions. I'm just not, you know, one of these talking heads that, that scream, um, just so they can be heard. You know, um, I, I actually knew what I was doing and I thought I was pretty good at it. Um, so hopefully I can continue that someone, um, sees my work and wants to bring me on that that's the only thing I can hope for but I'm gonna be damn sure that I put myself in a position where 
you know, someone sees um, what I can do and can see me as an asset to the company. So that's what I want at the end of the day for me. You can follow uh, Scooby Axon on Twitter at uh, S-C-O-O-B-A-X-S-O-N. And since he put this publicly online, I don't think he'll have a problem with me uh, repeating it. If um, you want to get in touch with Scooby uh, in terms of work, his email is Scooby, S-C-O-O-B-Y, 819 at gmail.com. That's Scooby819 at gmail.com. Mary, the same question for you. Um, I am sure you're going to continue um, in film or produce. I should say this in film is probably not the right way to phrase it, but I'm sure you're going to be continue to make uh, video content and um, and film content. What do you hope to do heading forward? Yeah, I mean, I love my job, um, and I hope to continue it um, anywhere that will have me. Um, just what I really enjoy most is telling the human stories. I mean, Obviously, there was a sports connection to all the stories I was doing, but um, they're really about the people, and so that translates to any genre. You know, it doesn't have to be sports, um, but I, I grew up playing sports. I was a three-sport varsity athlete in high school, and I, I love them, so hopefully I can continue uh, in that area. Um, in the meantime, um, my husband is actually working on a documentary for Sports Illustrated, somewhat ironically. Um, so hoping to help him figure that out, um, finish that up, um, now they don't have a conflict of interest and, and yeah, and in the immediate, very immediate time, enjoying this free time with my kids and, um, but I, I do look forward to getting back out there, uh, and, and working very soon. So on Twitter, you can find Mary at, uh, M-A-R-Y-A-G-N-A-N-T, um, she and her husband also are co-founders of Imagine Motion Productions, so you can check that uh, out. I think it's ImagineMotionsProductions.com. I think Scooby and Mary are both on LinkedIn as well, so that'd be M-A-R-Y-A-G-N-A-N-T, although that'll be all over this podcast in terms of the pros part. Um, is there anything else, guys, that you want to add as we uh, wrap up um, this segment with you? Scooby? Um, just, you know, I, I enjoyed my time at SI. I, I want to thank you personally. Um, cause the, the time, you know, you gave me an opportunity just to get my foot in the door, honestly. Um, when we're at Columbia and, you know, you didn't have to reach out like you did and, and vouch for me. So I want to thank you, um, personally for, for everything that you've done for me. Um, and, I read everything that you do, and I'm going to continue to do that and support you, and I just wanted to let you know that. Well, I'm proud of you for overcoming my horrible counsel, Scooby. That, that proves that you're a smarter <laughs> person than uh, than most. Um, Mary, is there anything that uh, you would like to add before we get out of here? Uh, I just, similar, I want to say that um, I've worked in a lot of places in in this industry, and I've never worked somewhere where I've been surrounded by so many talented people in so many different areas, um, writing and, and, and video, um, both. And I, one of the things I'll miss most is just going to work every day and being surrounded by brilliant people and, and having those same people to call on for advice and, um, for guidance. So, uh, I do hope that everybody that's still there gets to keep doing what they're doing because I want to read it and I want to watch it and, um, and yeah, um, I, I love my job and I'm sure I'll find my next thing, but I hope that 
that this um, brand stays intact so that people can continue enjoying it for for decades to come. Um, and w- there is one other thing I wanted to add. Sorry about the sure. earlier question. I don't know if you can. Yeah, no, add it back Go. there. But uh, just in regards to with how little notice we were given about this all happening, I was supposed to go on a shoot yesterday. I mean, we were literally planning things going forward. There was no hints given to us, you know, as of a couple of weeks ago that this was coming. Like I said, we all had heard rumblings and thought, you know, maybe the new year they were there would be layoffs. But the fact that we were all trying to do our jobs and putting our own contacts at risk you know, because I had to then cancel this short documentary that I was trying to pursue. That's that looks bad on me. You know, mm. it just felt like there could have been a little bit more journalistic integrity on on the part of you know somebody to to make sure that we weren't burning bridges with people pursuing stories that weren't going to be able to get done. Um, and so that was one of the also frustrating things about everything that happened. Is in the midst of uh, knowing that I'm probably about to lose my job, I had to you know call people and cancel things. That I, shoots that I would have, you know, stories that I would have loved to pursue. Um, so that was just a, you know, adding kind of insult to injury. <laughs> well, I first of all, I appreciate you both coming on. It's not easy to talk about. And I really, really appreciate your honesty, which both of you guys are. Uh, I have immense respect for both of you and your talents. I have no doubt that this is just a blip on, you know, your professional resume. And there will be great and... Uh, and better things ahead. It, you know, it's, it sucks, you know, to sort of see really good people lose their jobs, but it's not a reflection of you and your talents and your work. But I think you both know that you're smart enough to sort of understand what the larger picture is going on here. Um, Mary Agnan, as I mentioned before, uh, is a producer and filmmaker, uh, recently of sports illustrated video, really one of the most talented people I've ever worked with. Check her workout. Scooby Axon, uh, worked at SINSF.com for seven years. Can cover basically anything, college football, NFL, NBA, Major League Baseball, super talented guy and total stand-up guy. Mary and Scooby, thank you very much for joining me today on the Sports Media Podcast, and I will certainly stay in touch. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, as I introduced at the top, Tim Rohan worked at Sports Illustrated for three and a half years, uh, covering primarily the NFL, but certainly some other sports. Before that, he was a writer for the New York Times. And I do want to point out here, because I didn't mention in the intro, the podcast that he hosted, Fall of a Titan, a serialized podcast re-examining the death of Steve McNair, was recognized as one of the best sports podcasts of 2018. That was also done by Cadence 13. Um, And again, um, if you have read Sports Illustrated, uh, or SI.com, Tim Rohan is probably a familiar byline. Joe Neeson was a staff writer at Sports Illustrated for nearly six years, covering a multitude of things, including the college football playoffs, Super Bowl, the Masters, Stanley Cup. She's a St. Louis 
based reporter. So what a year for her there. And the World Series. Um, this podcast is not really going to be the cleanest podcast that I've done. Uh, everyone knows that I worked at Sports Illustrated for nearly two decades. It's very personal to me, even though I've been gone for a year and a half or so. And so we'll just see where this goes. Um, I have a blueprint for what I hope to ask Joan and Tim and Mary and Scooby, but I really don't know how it's going to go. So Tim and Joan, first, thank you for joining me on the Sports Media Podcast. And Joan, let me um, let me start with you. And that is, um, just give a brief synopsis of what you did for Sports Illustrated. Let's sort of start there so people who are not familiar with your work just get a sense of what you did there. Definitely, yeah. Um, I was lucky enough to intern at SI um, when I was in graduate school. Um, I think it was right after I finished graduate school. So I interned at the magazine for a summer, um, which was sort of my intro to the world of SI. Um, I was a fact checker and worked a lot with Peter King that summer. And that gave me the itch that this is, I mean, not that I didn't already want to work at SI down the line, but after that summer, it was, you know, this is the goal. I want to get back here. This, you know, this is a place I want to work. And I was lucky enough to get hired again um, about three years later as a staff writer. Um, I was brought on to the NFL staff. Um, I'd been covering the NFL prior to that for the Denver Post. So it was a pretty natural transition. Um, Covered the NFL for my first year and a half at Sports Illustrated, um, at which point we had a lot of NFL writers. And that was when the MMQB and SINFL were kind of two somewhat separate entities. And I was more on the SINFL staff and made sense to move me over to college football at that point, um, which I happily did. There was a ton of leeway for some cool features, and um, we were kind of rolling out a ton of new college football coverage at that point. So covered college football. Um, and over the last couple of years, I've sort of expressed my desire to do any and everything and maybe try to expand beyond the beat. So I, I covered the Masters this year. I covered the Stanley Cup Finals, um, have helped out with some baseball stuff, some basketball stuff, um, really tried to do anything that was asked of me for the last couple of years, um, which was really fun to get to dip my toe into a bunch of different worlds. Tim, the same question for you. Uh, for those who are not familiar with your work at Sports Illustrated, what have you done for them over the last uh, six years? I'm sorry, over the last three and a half years. Yeah, uh, well, I, I, by title, I was a staff writer, um, and I mostly focused on features. Uh, you know, and I, I covered the NFL for Peter King's MMQB, you know, as part of Peter King's MMQB team. Uh, for three years, uh, I just moved over this season to cover college football with Joan and Albert Chen and uh, the great SI college football team. Uh, and, you know, when I was writing, I, you know, I was like I said, I was mostly writing features. And uh, I would try to focus on, you know, uh, topics uh, in, in the sports world that intersected with culture and uh, politics. Uh, and, and, you know, including, you know, the Colin Kaepernick stuff. Uh, went and did a story at the Texas-Mexico border on a high school football player down there. Uh, you know, uh, wrote about Donald Trump as a USFL owner. Uh, and then, you know, like you said at the top, uh, you know, I, I spent a long time on a investigative narrative serialized podcast uh, on Steve McNair, uh, the former NFL quarterback, uh, and uh, spent a long time in that. And that came out last year and I was very proud of that. So, you know, dabbled in a bunch of stuff, but... Uh, you know, it was uh, mostly, uh, you know, feature writing and the podcast. All right, Joan, um, let's start here. Uh, thank you for your background. And again, as I've said, as I will say many times this podcast, these are two people who are exceptionally talented. If any editor 
publication is listening, you should hire these guys. All right, Joan, what was um, uh, before I ask you about last week specifically? I want to if you can give our sort of listeners a sense of did you see this coming, and if so, for how long? You know. I probably live in a glass half full world more than I should. And I think that, you know, since Sports Illustrated has been in a time of transition for the better part of two years between the time Inc. to Meredith's transition. And then once, you know, Meredith took over um, operations of Sports Illustrated, it was pretty soon thereafter that we knew we were sort of up for sale again because we didn't fit um, necessarily with Meredith's portfolio of, you know, magazines that aren't too similar to Sports Illustrated. They have a great portfolio, but it's not a lot of, you know, sports-heavy magazines or along those lines. And so I think throughout that time, um, there's been a sense that, you know, things could really change and we don't know who's going to buy us, um, but, you know, it could go so many different directions. Um, And then since the actual sale, you know, kind of sale one to ABG and then ABG's decision to license um, Sports Illustrated out to the Maven, which came a few weeks after the actual sale. um, Since then, I think I've, I've felt that, you know, who knows still who knows what could happen and maybe it could be a little worse than, than I think we all had hoped. But I did not wake up last Monday morning thinking I would be unemployed by uh, Thursday afternoon. We'll put it that way. Tim, same for you. Um, did you see this coming? Did you have a sense that this day might happen for you? If, and if so, how long did you have that sense? Yeah, I, I mean, like Joan said, I think we were in a holding pattern for a long time, you know, when Mer- after Meredith bought us and then put us up for sale and then, you know, we finally get sold to ABG and then ABG flips us to the Maven. Um, and even, you know, after, after that had been announced, it was still, we were still in kind of waiting mode. And then, you know, it all came down so quickly. I think, um, you know, it, Jones uh, based remotely in Chicago, but, you know, I was in New York when all this happened and it seemed like it, you know, as Jones said, I mean, it really happened in one week. I was a couple of weeks ago, I was in Los Angeles uh, on a reporting assignment for a couple of stories. And so I was out of the loop a little bit. Um, and then, you know, I guess it was about, you know, eight or nine days ago, uh, you know, we started hearing word that, okay, the Maven's posting uh, job postings, these job postings. Uh, and, you know, I'm hearing the second, third, fourth hand uh, from friends and colleagues, um, you know, just wondering what's going on with this. And then really it all came down last week, you know, so I got back from LA and, and, you know, Monday, there's rumors are f- circulating Tuesday. Um, we get an email around seven 30 at night that Chris stone is out as, you know, editor in chief of the magazine, Chris stone, the guy who's been in charge since Joan and I both got to sports illustrated, uh, we've kind of been leading the magazine through this time. And, you know, after that happened, I think, I think that, you know, put everyone on notice a little bit that, okay something's finally happening here. You know, we had been waiting for so long uh, for the sale to go through and to see what would happen. And then Chris is out. And then, you know, I think rumors started circulating that there could be layoffs. Um, and, you know, and again, that happened Tuesday night. Um, Wednesday comes and Wednesday afternoon, rumors started circling that uh, layoffs are, you know, not only are layoffs coming, they're coming tomorrow. Uh, and then, you know, the, the word around, you know, from friends and colleagues was they could, there could be a lot, you know, it could be upwards of 50% of the staff. I don't know what the exact number was, but you know, that was the first time really Wednesday afternoon that, you know, I was like, oh shit, you know, <laughs> this is going to be, this is going to be, uh, you know, it's going to be something. And, uh, and so that was Wednesday afternoon, Wednesday night at 10 PM, 
we all received emails. I think this is you know out there and reported. Uh, we all received emails at 10, 10 o'clock at night um, inviting us to meetings the following day. Uh, and there was a 12 o'clock noon meeting and there was a 12.30 meeting. And you know, so we got those emails at 10 o'clock. At 10.30, I get a call from a colleague and he's just like, what meeting are you in? And I was like, I'm in the noon meeting. And he, and he just, you know, and it was bad. <laughs> you know, that's the bad meeting. So anyway, uh, the next day, Thursday comes and you know, we're all in the newsroom waiting for, for these meetings to happen. And, um, you know, it's, I, I can't even tell you, you know, you just, you, you know, it's coming. And that morning I, I'd spent that morning, uh, Richard, I went, went to Staples. I bought a hard drive. I had to back up all my, you know, documents, all the stuff off my work computer, all my, you know, Steve McNair files and, you know, cause in, you know, anticipating having to turn in my computer, I'm rushing. I don't know if I'm going to like lose my computer by one o'clock. Like, you know, I, you know, I don't know how, what's going to happen. Uh, so, you know, it's 1150 and we're all in the newsroom. This is 10 minutes before the meeting and we get a notification saying that the meeting's been canceled and, uh, you know, people were obviously, uh, shocked and, you know, what's going on and, it was a little chaotic. Um, I think people were, you know, rightfully like, what the fuck? Um, and, uh, you know, we, we didn't know what was going on. And, uh, and so then it ended up, we were in a holding pattern again. Uh, you know, and this one was a little bit shorter, but, uh, you know, we just, people were hanging out in the newsroom, not really knowing what was going to happen. Um, you know, trading gossip, speculating, saying goodbyes. Um, and, you know, we, we didn't even know if the meetings were going to be rescheduled for that day. Um, you know, so we were, we just didn't know what was going to happen. We went out for lunch. We, you know, was talking to editors and, uh, you know, just uh, commiserating and, and reflecting on, on our time at SI. And, uh, and finally, they rescheduled the meetings, uh, I believe, for 4.15 and 4.30. And, uh, you know. We, we were all, we, you know, the, those of us in the 415 meeting were brought into a conference room and, and told that uh, our jobs are being eliminated. So that was, you know, it, and that happened. So you go from, I mean, it probably happened in 24 hours, you know, Wednesday afternoon where, you know, we hear these rumors about layoffs coming Thursday and how substantial they're going to be to them actually being carried out. So I think blindsided is, a, is how I've been describing it. Um, it's a strange feeling. I don't know. I appreciate, uh, sort of you going through that timeline, Tim, uh, Joan, you're out of the office. So what was last week like for you? Um, so as Tim alluded to the, the email, I mean, I was hearing kind of the same rumors that Tim was hearing, you know, being in the office, I was hearing remotely, um, through some, you know, just group, you know, group messages with, you know, some of the coworkers that I talked the most to and, um, I was sitting in the press box um, in St. Louis where I'd driven, I drove to St. Louis from Chicago Wednesday morning for the Blues um, home opener and Stanley Cup banner raising ceremony. And then I was assigned to stay in St. Louis and cover the NLDS games, the Cardinals Braves games here in St. Louis Sunday and Monday. Um, it's kind of funny. I had several stories on the docket that I've had to since cancel, which is a weird experience. Um, but anyway, I was in the press box um, I believe it was the second period of the Blues game when the emails came through and um, I was comparing my emails with um, some other coworkers when I noticed um, some language in one email that wasn't in the other that sort of, I think, 
I don't think I was the only one to notice this, but um, sort of lent lent credence to the idea that the noon meeting was the meeting for those of us who were going to be out the door. So um, at that point, there was sort of the to write or not to write decision off of the game that I was at. Um, It was like, if I'm laid off tomorrow, I'm having, I mean, I was kind of pacing around. Fortunately, I was seated next to um, a very close friend of mine and former SI staffer, Emily Kaplan, who um, shout out to Emily for keeping me sane and calm. And uh, so I ended up writing a story, a, a very, I think a very probably not so great story about the Blues um, lost that night and the Stanley Cup banner raising. And then I proceeded to go hang out with Emily and a friend of mine who's a columnist at the Post-Dispatch in St. Louis for the rest of the evening. And they sort of talked me down a bit. And uh, then the next day, it was like Tim said, just kind of a waiting game. Um, Had the same experience of the meeting being canceled, you know, 10 minutes, eight minutes out, whatever it was. And um, the one thing that I sort of felt in that intervening afternoon, I was very envious or I was very envious of everyone in the office. It sounded like, I mean, not a, certainly not a fun experience, but it was a, I think it would have been nice to be surrounded by coworkers during that time. Um, I just kind of paced around my parents' house and had this sensation of, you know, I'm fairly certain I'm among those who are going to be laid off. And sure, I, I really hope we can save Sports Illustrated and, you know, maybe block this from happening as we tried to do with a Twitter campaign that I think a lot of people saw um, and a petition that we took, um, you know, took public. But in the back of my mind, I had this thought where, you know, if this fails, which, you know, it seems more likely than not to fail, I really hope they schedule these meetings for today and that I can get this news today and that I don't have to go to sleep tonight for the second straight night with this hanging over my head, um, sort of like I'm being marched off to my execution. So when when the meetings, you know, came back on the calendar for 4.15 and 4.30, there was this horrible sense of, I think I'm going to lose my job today, but also this sense of, well, at least I know something. This is for either of you. Um, <clears throat> having um, having talked, obviously, a lot of people who are there uh, or who were there last week, uh, obviously, including – I should stop saying obviously, but including many, um, many people I worked with for many, many years, what was pretty disgusting to hear was that there was no forewarning, and especially for people – with decades and decades of experience, you know, it felt like basically some kind of uh, cattle call. Come in, and here's the news: you're going to be leaving your job. You know, and oh by the way, there's also a party being thrown by the Maven later that day to celebrate their, um, you know, new acquisition of Sports Illustrated. Tim, you were in the office, and I wonder if you can. Um, just sort of offer some kind of thoughts on the fact that it seemed to, in my sort of opinion, at least from the outside, it seemed to really be done in quite a disgusting manner, particularly for those staffers who had given decades and decades to Sports Illustrated. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, uh, like I said, I mean, I think blindsided um, was the is the right way to describe it. Uh, you know, I don't know what was happening behind the scenes. I don't know, you know, uh, what they were allowed to do. You know, it's what, I don't know how the deal came together or, you know, there was speculation that the initial meeting got canceled because there was some hang up in the deal between ABG and, and the Maven and Meredith or whoever, whatever was going on. I don't, I don't know. Um, so I don't know what they were allowed to do or, 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 or but, uh, other, you know, and, and I don't feel, 
comfortable commenting uh, on you know the the nature of how it went down other than to say uh, it was a surprise and I think uh, you know obviously uh, you know I think some people were you know some people were upset with how it was handled Joan um, given what we have seen uh, regarding the arc of the print media in the 21st century and not to say Sports Illustrated was a print product certainly had morphed into digital and video and multimedia but do you, was there? Do you think, like, whether individual employees or people who just love the brand, um, was it delusional to think that there could be a happy ending in 2019, 2020, 2021? You know, I think it was probably optimistic to hope for a happy ending, but I do think you look at, you know, there are ways to, you know, focus more heavily on the digital and transition Sports Illustrated into something that's really robust digitally which I think, you know, I think Sports Illustrated had done a pretty decent job of in recent years. I think, I mean, we all have been at Sports Illustrated and know kind of there was that print digital divide that persisted probably a little longer than it should have. But, you know, I think all of us at SI, I mean, I don't want to speak for others, but I think we saw the sale of time as, you know, that's what we would love to happen. I mean, bought by someone, you know, a billionaire who has a real investment in the brand and in making time, you know, something something good and something that can be a print product that stands or even a digital product that stands on its own two feet and is really robust. And I think that was sort of the hope for the happy ending would have been somebody, you know, a, a billionaire who had this, you know, deep seated love for sports illustrated um, who, who wanted to, I don't want to say restore it, but to perpetuate that legacy of what sports illustrated is and, you know, give us for the first time in a while because of all of the transitions that we've been going through just a an owner who was there to work for Sports Illustrated. Not to say that Meredith wasn't, you know, doing the best for us. We had, you know, great resources to travel and do the stories we were doing, but you know, we weren't part of Meredith's portfolio for the long term and it wasn't a it wasn't a position of stability that was going to hold. It would have been really nice to see maybe Sports Illustrated get that chance that, that Time magazine did. Yeah, that's well said. And um the reality is, because this is around the time I left, uh, Meredith had no interest in being a longtime steward of Sports Illustrated. They didn't buy Sports Illustrated for Sports Illustrated. They bought the timing portfolio because they wanted people and, and some of the other uh, brands that they thought fit into their portfolio. What you would have hoped for Meredith to do, and they didn't, was to put Sports Illustrated in the hands of a steward, like you said, Joan, who either loved the product or wanted the product to continue with sort of what's always been its DNA and not necessarily just either sell it to either the highest bidder or a bidder that, you know, wowed Meredith by, you know, was being willing to take it off their hands during the time frame they wanted. It's not necessarily that Meredith owed that to Sports Illustrator or its employees. You just kind of wish they did, and I don't think they did. That said, as somebody who worked at Time Inc. Uh, long before you guys, um, the issue the, – the, this – sort of story starts before Meredith even got Sports Illustrated in terms of what happened from horrible management at Time Inc. to some things that Sports Illustrated probably itself could have done uh, digitally. So this is for either of you guys. Um, feel free to sort of answer it. Do you, um, before the Maven got involved, um, do you think there are things that Sports Illustrated on a micro level could have done to um, help put itself in a in a better position. And that would be 
things long before I would imagine you two even got to the magazine slash website. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, exactly. I think you just, I mean, you know, it's no secret SI has had website issues, been slow to embrace the digital side of the business and, you know, all that. And like you said, Richard, I think that started, you know, well before Joan and I got there. So, you know, I wouldn't know the specifics of, you know, the decisions along the way that led to that point. Um, I could just say that, you know, I don't know, my three and a half years there, like I said, there was a lot of, you know, the sale to Meredith uh, and then the impending, once they kind of made it clear they were looking to sell us, there was just this, uh, you know, the, this thing hanging over us and we were constantly in, in uh, waiting mode. And I think the attitude of everyone inside the building was just put your head down and, and do good journalism. And I know that was my mindset. And, uh, you know, as far as, you know, the stuff about, what happened before I got there or Joan got there or, you know, the website or the digital side or whatever decisions were made along the way. You couldn't, I, you know, I personally couldn't do anything about that other than produce, you know, stuff I was proud of and, and good journalism. So, but yeah, maybe you could speak more to that, Richard, or I don't know if Joan has something to add. You know, the only thing that I have to add beyond that, I feel very, very similarly to Tim and that, you know, I think we all felt like, the only way to stay sane was to control what we could control, and that was to do good journalism. Um, I will say that one thing multiple people have said to me over the last few days have pointed out, and it's something that I've, you know, thought about over my time at SI too, is people talk a lot about, you know, in terms of the digital product, the SI vault, and all of the, you know, all of the stories that are on the internet that are written by, you know, the legends who came before us, the men who, men and women who wanted, you know, who made it so we wanted to come work at Sports Illustrated because we read their work. And um, the vault is not, you know, super easy to access. And I, I know for me, I've definitely over the years at SI worked on a couple stories with more of a historical bent to them and have known I wanted to find the stories that were written, you know, about these events when they happened. And it's not the easiest thing to access. And I do think that Sports Illustrated is a brand that can really play on its history and what it, you know, means in American culture. Um, and to have you know, sort of the digital representation of that nostalgia and not be quite as um, well-functioning as it could be. That's definitely something that people keep bringing up to me, and I think I am inclined to agree with could have could have helped out a bit. Joan, I want to ask you about um, Sports Illustrated heading forward. And I realize you may have to sort of choose your words carefully here. So, you know, go where you want to go and be as comfortable as you need to be. Um, both you and Tim have certainly read all the pieces that have come out uh, about the Maven. Obviously, the Deadspin piece went very, very deep into their business. Um, the Los Angeles Times certainly has experience with now some of the Maven's leadership. Uh, just being objective, Joan, which is very hard for me to do, obviously, since the um, since I have ties to Sports Illustrated, I can't really be objective. It does not look like a good future for Sports Illustrated. That's not to say that there won't be great journalism that still exists there because there's still great journalists. So they're going to put out good stuff. But the long-term prospects, I would say, under the Maven um, are not good. And I would ultimately say that this pl- they will they will strip Mind Sports Illustrated for as much as they can until that brand is done. I hope I'm wrong. I don't think I will be. From your perspective, Joan, what do you think happens next for Sports Illustrated? You know, it's a great question. And obviously, you know, I wasn't in any of the forward or the future facing meetings because, you know, I was laid off right before them. Um, but I think I can speak to, I mean, I certainly can't speak to the Maven's plans. Obviously, we've read a lot about, you know, what they hope to do at the LA Times and what it sounds like they'd, they'd like to do at Sports Illustrated. 
you know, what I can speak to are the people who, you know, showed up for work this morning and um, people who are, Tim and I have a lot of really good friends who, who showed up for work this morning and who probably have to embrace the same mindset I think that we all embraced while we were waiting for the sale was, you know, put your head down and do good journalism until they tell you you can't anymore. And there's still a lot of talented people there who I think feel, you know, very strongly about the fact that we're still Sports Illustrated and, um, you know, they can do the stories they were planning to do and put out the magazine as best they can and use, you know, the resources at their disposal, which, again, I can't speak to those resources because I, you know, was not in those meetings and I'm not in the heads of the Maven guys. But, um, yeah, it's it, it sounds like it's not going to be not going to be pretty and might be a little bit bleak, but I know in the near term, you know, there's a lot of people there who, who are going to do their jobs well um, and who are very sad about everything that's happened, but who, you know, feel an obligation to be sports illustrated and write the stories we're known for writing and hold the people accountable that we're known for holding accountable and, you know, move forward as best they can. Tim, where does your optimism level lie right now? Yeah. I mean, I, I just reiterate everything Joan just said, um, you know, I, we got a lot of friends there, and uh, I'm, you know, Jenny Vrentis, Greg Bishop, Michael Rosenberg, Kaylin Kaler. You know, there's a lot of great journalists still there, and you know, as long as they're there, uh, you know, you have to have you have to have faith in uh, them doing great journalism. Uh, that being said, you know, given the events of the last you know uh, week or so, uh, I think it's a you know, Richard, as you laid out, I think it's probably a pivotal moment in the in the magazine's kind of history and, and future going forward. And, you know, we'll see, you know, like Joan said, I don't know what the exact plans are, or what, uh, you know, they're going to do here going forward. But, you know, there's a lot of great journalists still there. And I'm rooting for them. And I'm excited to keep reading them. And I know they're going to find a way to, you know, do great stuff still. So I know it's going to be, you know, it's, it's gonna be interesting to watch here going forward. Joan, um, you know, knowing Tim a little bit and his personality, it's always going to be, I feel like, pretty zen and calm. I mean, for Christ's sakes, I think he had an engineering scholarship to Michigan. So he, you know, he's very zen-like, basically, I, I think. So, he, this, you know, he's he's giving me the answers I expected. So I will ask you, Blunt, like, you sort of are very calm and measured on this podcast. Are you, is there somewhere inside of you, are you pissed off? Are you ticked off that you were doing good work, great work? Um, you were producing as your job sort of required you to, but yet it, it wasn't enough. It was at the end, it wasn't about merit. It was about something else. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there is, there is a big part of me that is that way. I'm, I'm not a, I'm a, I'm a super, uh, non-confrontational person. I'm probably not, I probably need to be a little bit more confrontational in, in my day to day life sometimes I would say, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm trying to stay pretty calm and I have been pretty calm throughout this, but I'm, I'm angry. Um, I'm, you know, I'm someone who has always worked really hard. I was, I was joking with my mom um, on Friday, my day one of unemployment that I think it was the first day since the summer after eighth grade that I wasn't either enrolled in school or working. Um, so I've, I've worked really hard um, to get to where I am as I know everyone at sports illustrated has and everyone who was laid off by sports illustrated did. And so that's sort of the source of my anger is I worked really hard and I was producing good work as were all of us. And, um, it wasn't enough. I know there's lots of other journalists who are not even sports illustrated who've been laid off just in spite of the fact that they were, you know, working their asses off and reporting great stories, um, and giving everything to their jobs. 
So I know I know we're not unique in that sense. I think it's for me. There's a little extra, um, maybe I don't know if anger, maybe bitterness, maybe just motivation going forward. I don't know what it is. There's some. It's a weird dynamic in that you know, Chris Stone was was let go last Tuesday, and Chris was presided over my hiring, and you know a lot of my, my some of my superiors were let go, and it's I don't I don't feel like I let got let go by the place I worked for in some ways. I feel like I got let go by the new overlords, which is I mean that's the story, and so it's a weird dynamic of the, the the bitterness is placed in a different direction than I think most people's bitterness is placed when they're laid off. That's that's really well said, Joan, and I totally understand. Um, where you're coming from on that. Tim, is there anything that you wanted to add uh, following what Jones said? I think, yeah, I think uh, Jones, yeah, Jones been on point this whole podcast. Uh, you know, obviously uh, agree with what she said and it's uh, it's a weird feeling and I wish I could explain it as eloquently as Jones just did. Um, yeah, you know, I'm proud of the work I did at SI. Um, I'm going to miss my colleagues there uh, a lot of them are friends, mentors, um, and uh, you should go hire Joan Neeson uh, and all these other super talented people uh, who lost their jobs last week in this kind of uh, bizarre fashion. Uh, and that's all I'd really want to say. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll get to that in a second. I think what I have learned is that I should have basically booked some hotheads for this podcast <laughs> instead of you two. <laughs> Very well-reasoned, nuanced people. All right, uh, Tim, what do you want to do? What do you hope to do heading forward? What For, for, for people out there who, are, uh, who have hiring capacity or just even people who listen to this podcast can reach out to you, um, what is it your sort of desire to continue to do in this field? Yeah, I mean, I, I want to continue doing in-depth storytelling uh, and investigative work and uh, whether that's written features or narrative podcasts or video or, you know, I don't know. I, I, I want to keep, I wanna, I'm open to new ventures um, in some sort of, you know, in any, in any form or fashion. Uh, but I want to keep, you know, doing storytelling and journalism and writing. And, you know, I think there's, you know, hopefully a place out there for that. Joan, same thing. Yeah, I mean, I'd echo pretty much all of what Tim just said um, so well there. I think, um, yeah, the story, I mean, the storytelling has also always been the heart of what I want to do and what I, you know, a lot of what I did at Sports Illustrated. I think I was involved in a little more, sometimes, some seasons, a little more like day-to-day beat type of stuff with college football sometimes that sometimes I could have taken or, or left behind. I think for me, too, it's the storytelling, the long form, the the really being able to find the issues in sports that are applicable to the rest of society and find the people in sports who are maybe more than just athletes and tell their stories. And I don't know. I've also thought a lot over the last few days, you know, for me, what's what I'd like to do most going forward is that storytelling. And I'd love it to be in the world of sports, but it certainly doesn't have to be. Um, I'm very well connected in the world of sports. It's the only place I've ever worked, but I love telling stories about, you know, really anything under the sun that has, you know, some, application to the world we live in today and the you know the struggles we face in in 2019 so yeah I'm, I'm pretty open to talking to people and seeing what they have to offer but uh I just can't imagine not writing I just that's the thing to me it's it's going to be very weird this week to not sit down and write and I want to start doing that again as quickly as possible I can understand that um and you know to sort of satisfy yourself whether it's like a medium type of place or something else it may just be 
um, the forum to go to sort of keep your writing chops fresh. Is there anything else um, that you guys wanted to add before the end of this segment? Uh, I think that's it. No, I, I mean, we, I want to say thank you, Richard, for, for bringing us on to, to talk about this and I think it was a little cathartic and, uh, you know, go hire all the, all the, all these people, all these super talented journalists, uh, like I said. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think I echo that. I think I'd also like to say, I really appreciate, I think, you know, Tim probably experienced this too. I mean, no one ever wants to get laid off, but just the outpouring of support that I think, you know, all of us have received, um, over the last few days from people we know and people we don't know, um, who, you know, really came out pretty vocally in support of Sports Illustrated and in support of a magazine that I think a lot of people really loved. Um, that was, you know, really cool to see. And I just, you know, it doesn't, you know, we're still all laid off, but I think it really helps soften the blow a little bit to know how appreciated um, all of our work was. Yeah, no, absolutely. I want to echo that too, that, you know, everyone that reached out about the magazine, about everything that was happening, it really meant a lot. And, you know, you didn't, people didn't have to do that, but it, it showed just how much impact and, you know, the magazine had, uh, you know, in its history and this, the work that Joan produced and, you know, all these other people and myself and all these other people produced that, you know, we were doing good journalism and, uh, it was, it was nice to see people kind of respond to that last week. It's well said. Um, the only thing I would sort of add to you guys is, and again, understanding that I left on my own accord, but there is life on the other side. Um, you will work again. You will produce great work again. And um, and this will just be uh, part of your career, but certainly not the end of your career. Tim Rohan um, worked at Sports Illustrated for nearly four years covering the NFL. Is previously a writer uh, for the New York Times. I mentioned the podcast that he hosted and, and helped produce Fall of a Titan. That's a serialized podcast reexamining the death of Steve McNair. Uh, you could reach Tim... Um, and if you're on social media, find his Twitter account. Uh, hire this guy. He's a fan, fantastic talent. The same is true for Joan Neeson, staff writer of Sports Illustrated for nearly six years. She could pretty much cover anything, whether it's college football or hockey or baseball. And as she talked about here, also sort of has a perspective on um, when sports goes a little bit uh, deeper than just sports infuses with society. Uh, listen, I really appreciate you both coming on. I know it's been kind of a crappy uh, week or two, but um, again, you, there will be a time you'll be working again, and and I think and hopefully you'll sort of look back on Sports Illustrated with uh, your time at Sports Illustrated with fond memories. Uh, Tim and Joan, thanks for joining me on the Sports uh, Media Podcast, and uh, and uh, and I hope to be reading your work very very soon, and I think I will. Thanks, Richard. Thank you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. All right, back in the studio, my thanks to uh, Mary, Scooby, Tim, and Joan. I really appreciate them coming on and discussing what went down uh, at uh, 
you know, with the maven laying them off. It's pretty disgusting. It's really no other word for it. If you, um, this was a different podcast, I realized. If you like this kind of content, before uh, previous podcasts include Adnan Verk, who was last week, people seem to like that, uh, on all sorts of topics. Also, Ivan Maisel and John Dahl of ESPN on their college football project, uh, the 150-year project that they're doing. Before that, Jane McManus and Katie Strang on um, how uh, sexual assault and mental health is covered in the sports media and the language choices that are used there. Before that, Garrett Graff, the author of The Only Plane in the Sky and Oral History of 9-11. Really, really fascinating book. And then, obviously, we just have a lot of sports media-related interviews. ESPN Monday Night Football analyst Booger McFarland, Gus Johnson, the lead uh, play-by-play voice of college football at Fox, Don Van Natta, Chelsea James of the Washington Post. Uh, we've had some roundtables with John Orand about what's going on in the sports media. Same with Jim Miller. Conrad Thompson, Renee Young, Paul Heyman, if you're into wrestling. Just go down the list of the Sports Media with Richard Deitch podcast. And uh, if you like this stuff, please give us a review and a five-star rating. That is how this stays intact. All right, thank you to all my guests. Thank you to my producer, Patrick Antonetti. Not an easy one to produce this one. Thanks to everybody running Cadence 13 from Chris Corcoran, Spencer Brown, John McDermott, Sean Cherry. This is uh, Richard Deitch. We'll see you again soon on the Sports Media Podcast. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League Podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.